Welcome to another episode of You Do What? The podcast where I interview my comedian friends about their traditions and rituals. My name is Cindy Aravina. This week on the show, I have comedian Jake Cannon. You can look for Jake Cannon's podcast, The Look Back Machine, on iTunes. And on this week's episode, we actually talk about that podcast and the interviews that he's gotten. And also his Nicolas Cage collection. Very interesting conversation. Hope you enjoy. Did you ever, does everybody know you like sit on a bed like a child to interview people? Uh, <laughs> this is like very like. <laughs> this is yeah. Cindy wants to become a newscaster. No, right now. no guest has ever pointed that out on on record. Yeah, she's just sitting cross legged on a bed, staring at me. Well, <laughs> I figure. I feel, I feel like a father. In the early days of this podcast, I had my guest and myself sit on my bed, but then I was like, "This is too informal. I need to. I'll be the one on the bed. They get a chair. That's so, cool. Yeah." <laughs> It's if it would be weird if we were both on my bed, right? It'd be like yeah, too sleepovery. You'd be so uncomfortable. I can't. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not good with other people's girlfriends. <laughs> just, just, I'm just weird. <laughs> I'm a bad person. All right. Is that a good start? Yeah, that's Probably. a great start. So, uh, so you you've been doing this podcast, the Look Back Machine, for over a year now, right? Yeah, it took me like. I did like a bunch of interviews. I did like a year of interviews and didn't cut anything together because mm-hmm. I was just like, I'm going to get everybody from the show recess. And then I realized that was uh, um, dumb. <laughs> Why dumb? <laughs> uh, there's just too many people. And okay. then at a certain point you have the story and then you just have to move on mm-hmm. and you're not, you're not going to get everybody. And that's what I kind of realized that it's, you can cut things together much quicker if you have less people you interview. But you still like you try to just get the principles. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you got the the two creators. That's yeah. a big get. Yeah, and they've just kind of been around in animation forever. So mm-hmm. the one guy, Paul Germain, worked on the Simpsons, like the Simpsons shorts, and then he worked on like the first season of the Simpsons, and then from there he was like twenty seven. Mm-hmm. He goes to work at this place, Klasky Chupo, uh, which eventually did like Rocket Power and things like that, uh, and they're. They did the animation for the original Simpsons shorts and then like the first couple seasons of The Simpsons. And he goes there and he gets in development and he pitches Rugrats to Nickelodeon. Oh man, these are like all my favorite shows from childhood. Yeah, the shows are great and they, they still hold up really well. Yeah. Um, Recess definitely does. I've watched some Recess in recent months and it's I like it still. Oh yeah, it's, it's just like a good premise for a show that they yeah. just get in trouble and you know... Just like little recess things, but yeah. there's also kind of some magical elements in it as well, which yeah. is great. Rugrats too holds up for me. At least like maybe not so much the babies, but like the adults, you kind of think you see like what they kind of brought to the table, which is like these very like flying over the heads of kids kind of jokes. Yeah, that yeah, it's supposed to be your parents too. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's what it's supposed to be. Um yeah, like I love Stu. Stu's, Stu's amazing. Stu's He's one got of the best all the characters. best jokes. Grandpa's fantastic. Yep. Uh, Drew's pretty good. I like Drew. Yeah. Charlotte. Charlotte doesn't get enough screen time. Yeah, little. She's got a little weird mouth. Yeah. On the side of her like giant. <laughs> her cheek. giant cheek. Just yeah. one cheek. And then Angelica has both cheeks. Yeah. So. Angelica's fantastic. She's too. wonderful. She's an icon. A feminist icon. So, okay, so you started with, with all this information about the, oh, sorry, Recess, and now you're, you're branching out into other shows. Yeah, uh, I kind of started interviewing people and was going to have it all form around the Recess narrative and mm-hmm. how they got to ABC 
from Nickelodeon. But then I just started messaging people, and right now I'm cutting together an episode about the Disney afternoon and mm-hmm. the early days of Disney television animation. And I think I interviewed about like 15 people about that. So that one's taken like about a month to cut together. Okay. Uh, so I just kind of got interested in it, and I was like, oh, what happens when this recess thing is over? Uh, what happens when you want to take a break from that? And so then I just started calling other people mm-hmm. on Facebook and messaging them and asking if they wanted to be interviewed. And most of them do. Yeah. Surprisingly. Yeah. Was anyone like, fuck no? No, no. Everyone's been very polite if they say no. They're just like, oh, I'm not interested. I'm going to say things that are bad. Yeah. <laughs> and get myself in trouble. So I'm just going to avoid it. Wow. All right. Well, that's good. I'm glad no one was a dick. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no one was a dick. Good. Everyone's <laughs> been really nice, which is crazy. I keep waiting for like a terrible interview, and everyone's been pretty reasonable. Are most of them still working in the industry? Um, yes. Um, I just interviewed a guy, Jonathan Groff, and he now is the head writer for Blackish. Oh, but cool. in the early 2000s, I think 2003... He did a show called Father of the Pride. Do you know that show? Mm-mm. It was DreamWorks television show. They did full mm. CG, and it was about lions that are the pets of Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> and um, Was this pre-attack? The attack happens during the development of the show. Oh, They've already done no. a lot of work, and then the attack happens. A PR nightmare. <laughs> yeah, he said it was just, like, awful. <laughs> just, just, like, of course. But, like, these guys had worked with animals for, like, 50 years Yeah, at the that one point. time. And then this is the one time. And I, I guess the story is the lion was trying to protect him because mm-hmm. there was this lady with, like, big hair... <laughs> and perfume on that like freaked the tiger out and thought something was happening to uh i think i think it was roy that was attacked yeah it was roy yeah that's good that you know that i was actually in vegas when that happened get out of here yeah not at the show but i was like in vegas and it was like just everywhere oh yeah yeah breaking it was giant news yeah we were at dinner and my uncle's like well roy just got attacked by one of the tigers we're like what (laughs) Wow, how did he get that information? Because he works in, in like with the casinos and stuff, so oh, he's okay. got like, you know, info just like ready to go. Yeah, I was like, wow, that's a very like instant internet thing, which yeah. I'm not sure was there yet. It was 20- pre that. He yeah. like got like a message or a call or something. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I'm on the inside in, in Vegas culture. <laughs> yeah. Magic. <laughs> yeah. So that that never saw the light of day. No, it came out. Oh, it did. Okay. Yeah, they decided to keep going with the show at uh, Roy's behest. Huh. Uh, he wanted it done, and um, the show actually turned out really well. Yeah. But like the press just kind of killed it, and they advertised it for it like it was going to be a kids show. Yeah. And then the first episode they had was about trying to get a panda laid. <laughs> so it, it was just like bad marketing on NBC's part. Oh, it was but, on NBC. But like the show actually isn't bad at all. It's like pretty reasonable. You're like, oh yeah, this isn't, like there's so many comedies from that period of time that are just painful. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was right around the time that Joey was on oh, NBC. Christ, yeah. And I'm sure that's not even that bad anymore. But uh, I mean, comparatively to other sitcoms at that time, and even now, it's like a pretty good show, mm-hmm. which was surprising because I was gonna—I thought I was gonna hate it. 
So it was nice that I didn't. How did you find um, the, uh, the, pr- the, the show? What's it called again? Oh, Father of the Pride. Father it's the a, Pride. It's a show I knew about uh, and remembered that they had just spent an exorbitant amount of money on it. I think each episode cost something around $3 million mm-hmm. an episode, which at that time was a lot. And then I remember watching it as a kid, and then it was just kind of like this huge failure because they spent so much money on it and advertising on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I completely forgot that the attack happened during that period of time, and then they released the show. That's crazy. So. so, And you were able to dig up like a bunch of information about that? Yeah, I mean, it was covered almost relentlessly because mm-hmm. it was such a big um, venture for them. Yeah. And then, then the attack happened, so it got even more coverage. Yeah, I don't even remember the show. Yeah, uh, nobody does, really. Yeah. There's like few people that do, mm-hmm. uh, but like it doesn't have like a lot of high YouTube hits or anything. I think it just kind of came out. It was on for a very short period of time. It didn't get picked up. It didn't even air, I think, all of its episodes. I think like the final two were cut out. Oh, wow. And so, but this guy like didn't affect his career. He was the head writer on that. Now he's the head writer on Blackish. He did uh, Andy Barker PI, which was the Andy Richter show that was popular. Oh. And so he's just kind of gone on and had a great career. Mm-hmm. So it was cool. Home on the Range. Did you did you intend to to cover this terrible Disney movie, or did it just kind of happen? Uh, I messaged a guy, John Sanford, about it, and I asked him if he wanted to do uh, talk about his career and Home on the Range, and then he talked to me for like hours about it because. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, not a lot of people care about that movie. Um, I saw it in theaters when I was a kid. That's great. See, that's like right around the time that I checked out on Disney movies. I was like, uh-huh. I don't need to see these anymore. And so I didn't see Treasure Planet. I didn't see that. I didn't see Meet the Robinsons. I didn't see Bolt. I didn't see Chicken Little. I was like, a, I was very over what they were doing. I think I would still go see Pixar movies, but yeah. Disney was like, was really struggling at that time. Yeah, they were going through like a ton of transitions, and um, Home on the Range was their last 2D animated movie until Princess and the Frog, which doesn't like count, mm-hmm. I don't think. But this was like the last of a generation, this film. Um, and they were going to shut down 2D animation anyways, but this was just kind of the final... Like, maybe if it had done really well, they might have kept it around. But uh-huh. it was pretty clear that everybody wanted CG movies. Yeah. Which was surprising to me because I was, I was, I'm still a huge fan of all the Pixar stuff. And, like, they just did it better than everybody, really. Yeah. They had, I mean, they had just like a really good system and mm-hmm. pipeline. And their executives weren't getting in the way as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kind of just wanted the artists to make their movie. And so then they ended up with all these great stories too, as well as they just had good pitches for their films. Yeah, uh, definitely. John talks about that. And he's just like, yeah, like the Finding Nemo pitch is incredible. A father loses his son in the ocean. He has to find him, mm-hmm. but the fish is in a... Uh, a fish tank in Australia. He's like, how is he going to get that thing? It's like super interesting. Yeah. And then like Monsters Inc. It's like, oh yeah, there's this world of monsters and they charge 
all their electricity based on how much they scare kids. And you're like, all right, well, that's super interesting. Um, and so they they just had like in Toy Story, like what happens when you leave the room? Yeah, your toys come to life. Like amazing pitches. And then in the meantime, Disney had the pitch for Home on the Range, which was cows have to save their farm, which is like just not something that people are going to immediately yeah. want to see. <laughs> it doesn't have Unfor- a ton of meat to it. Yeah, it's it's very 1950s, like a movie that Judy Garland and Mickey Rooney would have been mm-hmm. in. They're like going to have a concert to save the farm. So. Yeah, low stakes. Yeah, and a lot of these guys' stakes got taken away during the movie. Like they wanted, uh, at one point, the bad guy in the movie... Uh, Alameda Slim. It's it's weird that I know that. Um, when you said that, I've name, seen though, that movie. I was like, yeah, that was the guy. Yeah, he's yodeling and he's played by Randy Quaid. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is like my favorite part of the movie. That's um, yeah, it, like pre crazy Randy Quaid, uh, who's a, like an amazing actor. And they had this idea. They're like, okay, well, uh, he's gonna be taking all these cows and to slaughter. Like they're gonna die. Mm-hmm. That's the stakes. And then Disney was like, well, you know, we have a deal with McDonald's, so we can't do that mm. because meat and we're going to say yeah. they're killing cows, slaughterhouse, McDonald's, we can't do that. And then they were like, okay, well, maybe he'll uh, hypnotize these cows and then he'll take them to Washington. He'll do a storm on Washington and he'll become president. And Disney was like, yeah, but we just had an election. Where a Texan became president and uh, unseemly circumstances, so we're not going to do that. And then they, they wouldn't let him have guns in the movie because it was uh, McDonald's didn't want like bullets or something. And it was like so they just had all these things that they weren't allowed to do. And then uh, Will, the other di- co-director of the movie, was just like, you'd get to a certain point where you'd be arguing for what you wanted. And then he's like, if you went a little bit further beyond that and kept arguing, they just fired you. Mm -hmm. So you're pretty much just kind of a manager. You're making creative decisions, but ultimately the executives there are going to make the final one. Unless you have some cachet and you've done it before, but they were both. I mean, Will had directed a little bit of El Dorado at DreamWorks and John, this was his first time directing. Yeah. El Dorado's not a bad one. Yeah, I like El Dorado. Yeah. I like El Dorado. And I don't mind Home on the Range. I don't think it's... There's movies that are bad, and it's not that. It's just not very good. Yeah. Which is... It's like a different thing. It's it's just like, oh, that movie's fine. It's not painful. Mm-hmm. It's just... It has all the Disney elements that just didn't come together at the end of it. Yeah. And based off what you just said, it just kind of sounds like they just didn't really have like a ton to work with on top of like this kind of quote-unquote boring storyline. Yeah, and they weren't the first ones in on the movie. The original movie was going to be about this ghost town, and so there were going to be all these ghosts and uh, this young kid who's trying to come up in the West after his dad sends him out West, and then he's fighting these ghosts in the Old West. Yeah, it sounds really cool. And then I guess Michael Eisner, who was... um, the big cheese at the time there walked in on that and he goes, wait, I thought this movie was going to be about cows. <laughs> and they were like, well, well, it's not. And then he was like, 
Yeah, but it should be. Well, uh, uh, and then the whole direction of the movie changed. Wow. Just because one guy. Yeah, I mean, he was head of the studio, so they were like, all right, I guess we're doing this thing about cows saving a farm. Yeah, Eisner wants a cow movie. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and then from there you get home on the range. But the other one would have probably been a lot more interesting, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I love that that idea. Yeah, it's a cool, it's a really cool idea. I guess all the artwork was awesome. Mm-hmm. And then those two directors, uh, it was Mike Gabriel and Mike, uh, it was Mike and Mike, I can't remember the last guy's name, uh, but they dropped off the project because mm. they were just like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. And I think they also got taken off as well. And then John and Will came in with this movie that they're going to go save this farm. And that's how Home on the Range happened. And you you have a pretty impressive uh, memory for all this. When you're interviewing people for this, do you come with specific questions or are you just kind of letting them tell tell their story and just kind of absorb it that way? Uh, it depends on the person. Sometimes a person needs a lot of prompting mm-hmm. to tell the story and you have to ask them question by question and you're just hoping that they'll something will trigger in their mind and that they'll ask something... Um, yeah, you, so you kind of hope that somebody will tell something that they're actually interested in, mm-hmm. unprompted, something you didn't know, but you have to come up with enough questions to prompt them sometimes. But other times, I'll ask one question and the person will just talk like an hour. Yeah. Uh, I'll just be like, how did this happen? And they'll be like, oh, and then this, and then this. And then that's really great because you have a lot of stuff to cut from other mm-hmm. t- times because uh, I cut myself out of it in my questions uh, sometimes they're not giving all the information there, so then I have to do more narration on top mm-hmm. of it to lead to something. But yeah, sometimes you find out things because the person's been thinking about this story for a long time, and they probably like secretly wanted to write a book about it, and then just haven't done it. So they're just like, I'll just tell this story now. Yeah, they finally have a little platform. Do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about the look back machine before we? Oh man! Get into Nick Cage. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we did an episode on The Simpsons. You're a big yeah, Simpsons yeah. fan, I right? Love the Simpsons. We, we did the Simpsons shorts. We talked to like all the animators. There was only like four of them that worked on it, but they all went on to pretty great things. Like David Silverman went on to direct the Simpsons movie. Uh, Bill Cop created Eek the Cat uh, and Schnookums and Meat, and a couple other shows. And he worked on the Roger Rabbit shorts after the Simpsons movie, and then Wes Archer. Um, went on to direct like the original like King of the Hill series. So, oh, awesome. So they all like went on to these great things after yeah. The Simpsons, but they all worked on The Simpsons for a period of time. Good for them. And just like this it was crazy like how unimportant The Simpsons shorts were mm-hmm. <laughs> compared to like how important The Simpsons are now. It's yeah. insane. No one no one cared what they were doing. And now it's just the the biggest thing. Yeah, now it's the biggest thing. Everybody wants to know everything about it, but for these guys, they were just working on this show. They didn't know it was going to be anything. Mm-hmm. The Simpsons shorts are not very close to what the show became. Oh, not at all. Yeah, it's very, very different. And then the show just got picked up. Mm-hmm. So, Look at that. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think that came out right around the time we were both born. Yeah, how old are you? 28. I'm 28. I'm t- yeah. 1989. Like I'm right 1990. Around. Wow. See? Yeah. I'm wasting my life. <laughs> I know, because you were saying, like, oh, yeah, when this guy's, like, 27, I'm like, uh. Yeah, yeah, some of, well, that one was insane. Yeah, that yeah. That he got to do that, but not really. I mean, you know, that's a reasonable age to get something at. Yeah. I think if he was, like, 21, that would have been very upsetting, but 
27 is like... It's reasonable. Like, You've lived a life at that That's point. where I, you know, that's where I should be. And I'm not. <laughs> that's what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I've never seen it. I've never been to your place. But apparently you have all of the Nicolas Cage memorabilia. I have a lot. I have an uncomfortable amount of <laughs> Nicolas Cage material. When I used to bring girls back to my house to meet me. <laughs> <laughs> Meet the look real at, you. <laughs> look at that. I'm so clean. Uh, yeah, to, I'd have to, like, right before I open my door, I'm just like, just so you know, I have a lot of Nicolas Cage stuff. And then I'd open the door. <laughs> and they'd be like, it can't be that much. And then you would just see their eyes get really big, and they'd do that slow turn like they were in the serial killer's house. And I'd be like, yeah, this is, uh, this is it. This is all my stuff. Like, I think one of the girls, when we were hanging out, she said something to the effect of, did you know... And no matter where you're looking in this room, Nicolas Cage is staring at you. And she said, do you find that inspiring? And I said, absolutely. And I just talked about <laughs> Nicolas Cage for like five minutes. I had no idea she was messing with me. Uh, I was just like, yeah, he's the most inspiring person in the entire <laughs> world. He does whatever he wants when he wants to. He's completely free artistically. And that's the level I want to reach. Okay, so so it's definitely like um, aspirational. He's an incredibly charming man. He is he really. There's a series of interviews he does on late night shows, and there's this one he does on British television. And he comes out. He does a flip. This is when he's young. Uh-huh. Uh, I think he'd just done. I want to say Valley Girl or something, something of that effect. And that ilk. Mm-hmm. Uh, he comes out, he does a flip, and then he takes off his shirt. Uh, and he throws money at the crowd. <laughs> and he just kills it. He's so charming. Because if you watch um, kind of other celebrities at that time, he's such a rock star compared mm-hmm. to other people. And he he's weird, but he just kind of really embraces it. There's another interview he does with Letterman where he talks about his cat and him doing mushrooms together because the cat got into the mushrooms. Oh, no. And then they're just staring at each other for hours. And Nick's like, yeah, then I knew he was my brother. And you're just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but it's so cool. He just, you know, I don't know. He just taps into something, I think. And he's just like, he goes so over the top in a lot of films. Like Vampire's Kiss, he's just amazing in because he just makes all these strange kind of avant-garde, silent movie film choices about how big to play this character. And he, but he's, so, he's really also subtly funny in it. Um, and so there's movies like that where that really works out. And then there's movies he makes that it kind of works out and he can save a bad movie. There's yeah. this movie he did, Dead... It's, I think it's, it might actually be called Deadpool... It's not though. But it's, not it's Marvel's. dead something. Yeah. Dead zone or whatever. And he's his brother's directing him in it. And Nick has this croft of hair that's jet black and he has a mustache. And I think he wears sunglasses the whole movie. And he's insane in it. And he just steals every scene because he's going so big and so over the top. Uh and I don't know if it's a good performance. But it's like he's in a completely different movie. That's the thing about Nick Cage. He's amazing in terrible movies and just like crazy in really good movies. Yeah. Yeah, he does that. And then the other thing, he's also really good at just kind of playing a normal guy. Like he does have that kind of Tom Cruise, like Ethan Hunt thing, Mm -hmm. like in National Treasure. He's just 
a normal dude in this movie, and he's he's he doesn't seem insane. Yeah, at he's just like any point during those films. Like, yeah, he's just an action star. So it's crazy that, that he can kind of morph between those things. Yeah. I just watched Face Off for the first time in my life a few oh, days ago. Yeah, that movie's amazing. It is incredible just to see the shift of him being, you know, the Nick Cage character, but then the Nick Cage as John Travolta's character. It's like, what did they have to do to like prepare to play each other? I, like, what was what were those meetings like? Yeah, I think Nick Cage just was like, I'm gonna just play a pussy. That's what I think <laughs> he decided. <laughs> That was his character work for that. He's just, I'm going to play a pussy. <laughs> that's, that's, cause like I love, I love him so much when he's playing the bad guy and how over the top he is. And then his just, eyes just like, yeah. And then kind of just a little disappointed that I didn't get to see that for a whole movie. Yeah. Although it probably would have been too much. Um, because I think he gave John Travolta a lot to work with. Uh-huh. And then John Travolta's character is obviously going to be more subtle. Um, but yeah, Caster Troy, amazing character. Yeah. Great work. Because then you see John Travolta being Nick Cage and like the way he changes his voice is so funny. Oh yeah, Tra- Travolta really tries hard yeah. in that film. Uh, I mean, I just love, there's just like so many complicated things in the movie, but I love when Travolta goes home to the house and like maybe he's going to have sex with the daughter, <laughs> not clear. Uh, and I think if the movie had been rated more R, he definitely does. That guy has no qualms about that. But I love that he sleeps with the guy's wife. It's so fucked up. That's just like I don't know. And then the uh, and then Nick Cage probably slept with uh, Gina Gershon in that movie. So you, yeah, you know, you have to assume super complicated. Oh yeah, but yeah, he. Nick Cage just like he plays all ends of the spectrum. Like I watched The Family Man for like the hundredth time the other day. That's my mom's favorite Nick Cage movie, so I've just seen it just a bunch. It's great. It is great. It's so heartfelt, and it's, he's... Yeah. Do you know who that's directed by? Who? Brett Ratner. What? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Brett Ratner directed that film. What? Yeah. I did not catch that. That's amazing. Yeah. It's incredibly disappointing. Because, uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is a good movie. He's, mm. he's really good in it. The scene where he sings to his wife on the videotape uh-huh. that he watches... Uh, I can't remember what he sings, but he just kills it. Yeah. And he's so, you're just like, this guy's so charming. Yeah. It's like mind blowing that anybody could, like it would be so annoying, it would be so annoying to be at a party and then some guy starts singing to his wife. Uh You'd be like, this is so awful. And then when Nicolas Cage does, you're like, wow, that was great. That's love. Yeah. Yeah. That's the true essence of love. And he didn't even love Tia Leone. Think about that. Didn't even care about her. It's fucked up. He's acting. Yeah. <laughs> That's so good. So what? Um, what's your favorite Nick Cage? If you have a favorite, um, if I have a favorite or a top five, it's probably Con Air. That's the one I you love Con Air. Go back to very often, but uh, I just interviewed some people about Vampire's Kiss for the podcast, I seen that. and Vampire's Kiss is. A delicious film. <laughs> it is. It works on just every level. It's really funny. Is it a drama? No, it's oh, okay. this dark black comedy that David Lynch would have maybe directed. Mm-hmm. It's so weird, 
and it's commenting on all these different things. Oh, but I'll Nicolas Cage is, I mean, it's he does the ABC scene, and I don't know if you've oh, ever seen his ABC rant. Okay. That's from this movie. Gotcha. And he does this weird voice during it that's very meek, uh, but he's he's unleashed, and he's incredible in it. Amazing. I love him in um in Peggy Sue Got Married. Yeah, he's so charming he's in that. So good and in that. he's doing I think he's doing like a Woody Woodpecker voice yeah. according uh, to uh, stuff uh, I read. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, he yeah, goes on stage yeah. and he sings again during the diners and again the very man was charming. Made for the stage. Um he's yeah, he's such a fucking weirdo. I I love him also in why am I blanking on the name? Uh on Puget Sound with the burning of the, the witches and stuff. Wicker Man. Yes, Wicker Man. Wicker Man's great. His head in the bee cage. You bitches. Yeah. Uh, the best part is when he punches that lady in the face. Oh, he yeah, he punches a bear. He punches a bunch of stuff. He's punching. My favorite scene in that movie, by far, is the scene where there's two guys there and they're carrying up this bag and it's a bleeding bag. Yeah. And it's obviously they've just murdered Nicolas Cage's pilot and he's a cop and he definitely knows. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the way I think Neil LeBute wrote it was to be like, this man has, thinks he knows all the answers until it's too late. And uh-huh. he's like telling people how it is and everything like that. And then this scene, he's just like, what's in the bag? <laughs> Shark or something? Like, he guesses shark. Like, it's a sh- this shark in this bag. And it's just like, no, it's not a shark. But he's so presumptuous and, like, over the top. He's just like, yeah, it's a, probably a shark, huh? And then they're just like, just look at him like he's insane. Yeah, there's like, there's no sharks. It's like, he's just guessing shark. Like, that's his first animal. <laughs> shark. A shark? Like, the bag's not even, like, that wet. It's just bleeding. Yeah. Like, they dried off the shark first <laughs> and then the put it in the bed. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's he's incredible in that film, too. That movie's so weird. I'm not sure. I don't love that movie, mm-hmm. but there's scenes I love in it. But as a whole movie, the more I watch it, the more I like it. Yeah. But that's. It's one of those where, like, you pick up on something new every time. Yeah, there's, there's just so much. We- I, so... By my house, there was like this little street corner. One time, there was like a ton of posters on it, mm-hmm. and there was one really big one, and it was like made of vinyl. It was huge, and we we unrolled it, and it's a little creepy girl from Wicker Man standing on top of Nicolas Cage's face, <laughs> and there's like bees on Nicolas Cage's face, and the poster's horrifying. And I was like, I can't have that in my room. You didn't take it home. And then I went back to my house. I'm like, I got to go get that. And then I went back and I hung it up. And my uh, my girlfriend at the time just hated it. She's like, I can't have that in your apartment. I was like, well, it's staying up. Um, yeah. <laughs> like, I wasn't going to take it I'm down. I was like, you don't have to look at it. And you can make friends with her at some point. But she was so horrifying for oh, like God. the first two days. It was pretty. It's, it's not a poster you would have anywhere except in some place you might murder somebody. Yeah, I know the poster that you're talking about. Yeah, it seems it makes it seem like it's going to be a horror movie. It kind of it kind of is, but it's mostly just weird. The original is a musical. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, which I have not seen, but I do know it's a musical. <laughs> so they took all the good parts from it. Yeah, I, like I kind of Nicolas Cage and I guess Neil Labute like both acknowledged they made that movie as like a joke. Mm-hmm. 
which is so weird because I think like they fooled the executives at the time and they were like, yeah, look, it's like an M. Night Shyamalan film. It's a twist at the end. Uh-huh. And then they're kind of, I think they're kind of making fun of like those M. Night Shyamalan films a little bit. They really it. are. Because it's, yeah. it's, it's very tongue in cheek, but everybody's very serious, but they're just like weird people. And then there's a crow in a desk and it's just like, yeah, this is just like, they told those people they were going to make like a straight M. Night Shyamalan film. Mm-hmm. And that's what it comes off as. It come, it's like so deep in its own satire that it it doesn't qualify as satire because yeah. they might have just tried to really make a good movie, but I don't think they did. I think Neil Butte and like Nick Cage like kind of know what they're doing, uh-huh. and they just made like very rarely do movies like that where you intentionally set out to make it campy mm-hmm. work because there's an element of self awareness there. Like, have you ever seen Birdemic? Yes. Yeah, it's a terrible movie. Mm-hmm. And then the guy made, the same director made Birdemic 2, which I've never seen because the reason he made that is because the other one got popular. Like this other one was like from his heart. Yeah. And he really wanted to make this thing. And that's why it's so good. Uh, Or so good and so bad. Because he doesn't know. He doesn't know it's bad. It's earnest. Yeah. yeah, It's so earnest. Yeah. Uh, But then you look at a movie like Machete Mm -hmm. and it like doesn't really work. Yeah. Because it's trying to be hokey. Yeah. It's trying. And, like, there's not somebody who really believes in it. And yeah. I feel like Neil LeBute and Nick Cage got away with something they don't really believe in, but it seems like they do, uh-huh. which is, like, a weird... Because the movie looks really pretty. The, oh, the yeah. setting is gorgeous. The shots are nice. Good actors, good yeah. actresses, and it just is a mess. Yeah, it, it fooled everybody. But, you know, the plot makes sense and everything. It's yeah. very straightforward. But, yeah, but you're, you're totally right about everyone in the movie seems so serious. Yeah, everyone's really trying. Yeah, there's no tongue-in-cheek about the acting. Yeah, I can't remember. I just watched like this red-letter media review of um, Starship Troopers, and they're just talking about the actors in that, and they're like, yeah, I don't think... I wonder if they knew that Paul Verhoeven cast them because they were bad, <laughs> and like very 90210. And like, that's kind of the same feeling I have for like... Um, well, no, all the acting's good. Nobody's bad. In Wicker Man, yeah, everyone, everyone's acting their their ass off. Yeah, they're trying. No one's. I, don't, I can't recall anyone like just like oh they they just got except maybe him. <laughs> <laughs> He's just kind of there. Well, Nick Cage is the anomaly in any movie, really. Yeah. Um, what's uh, for some reason? And maybe it's just like the haircut. Do you love adaptation? Oh, I liked that movie. It wasn't my favorite. Uh-huh. I I mean, I love Charlie Kaufman. Um, and I really like Spike Jones, but yeah, not my favorite. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love being John Malkovich. I've only watched it once, but it was such a great experience. Like I kind of don't want to go back to yeah. it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I like Nick and a lot of things. Um, he just looks amazing in that movie with that awful wig and he put that, on a bunch of weight for it. Yeah, thanks for yeah, thanks for talking about my hair that way, Sydney. <laughs> you don't quite it's have really adaptation sweet. hair. Sweet. <laughs> no, it's getting there and back I'm losing it. It's almost <laughs> over for me. My my dominance of the single scene will soon be over. <laughs> it will be taken over by I, I don't know who. Brandon Cooney. Yeah, there we go. No, he's in a relationship. He can't oh, dominate. Is he? Is he? Calling him out. Rumors spread. You should <laughs> cut that part out. I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, him and me go together forever. Yeah. I actually uh, haven't talked to Brendan in a while. Yeah, so we don't know. Yeah. So it could be 
could be bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird because people like have started explaining things to me mm-hmm. in Nick Cage so that I think I understand. Like when my ex and I stopped talking, she was like, the reason we're going to not be together anymore is because uh, I want a moonstruck moment where somebody like really loves me and is just with me. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, well, now that movie's ruined for me. <laughs> But I understand what you're saying now. <laughs> like yeah, she, she, before, I like didn't get it, and then language. she's like moonstruck, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that is bad." I'm That's sorry. That's with Cher, right? That's with Cher. I have not seen that movie, and I need to see it. Yeah, you should. Yeah, yeah. I can't watch it anymore. No, 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 no. It's done for Don't me. Don't worry, I'll, I'll be alone. Yeah, tell me. Um, <laughs> yeah, tell me how if it's still the same, or if the guy gets her back. Okay. Because that would be the good alternate ending. Yeah. Maybe there's a deleted scene or something. So, so you've made. I mean, well. Is it just, okay, when you're watching this with, like, girlfriends and stuff, is it kind of the thing where, like, hey, I want to share this thing with you? Or, like, I'm going to watch this and you can either watch it or not? Um, I think the last one she wanted to watch more of them. Mm-hmm. She's like, you know so much about this and, like, your opinions on him are very funny. So, But I just kind of, he started making movies that were so bad that, like, I wasn't enjoying them at all. Yeah. And then I just kind of stopped being like, I just haven't been as interested in him for a while until I recently rewatched interviews with him. And I was like, Oh my God, this is why I fell in love with him in college and why uh, I love his work so much. And same when I watched vampires kissing and I was like, I forgot how great he is Mm -hmm. uh, because he's been just kind of showing up for checks a lot of times. Right. Because he's run into financial trouble. Yeah, he spent all of his money. Yeah. Very Johnny Depp style. Just <laughs> didn't care. Bought Tyrannosaurus heads. Bought haunted mansions. <laughs> bought cars. Was just blowing it. Uh, and then he stopped making movies that were successful and kind of became a joke. Um, and I think he'll have like a comeback. I guess he kind of made two good movies recently where he's really good at them and they like make sense for him. But... Yeah, that's that's disappointing. I hope that people rediscover him and he has like a comeback. I feel like he's due for like another Oscar at some point. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Because it'll be a good story. Maybe a lifetime achievement at some point. Yeah, if he doesn't get that, that award's bullshit. <laughs> More than I've ever thought any award is bullshit. So just to kind of wrap up uh, your feelings on Nick Cage, what is what do you think is the weirdest piece of uh, memorabilia you have of him? Oh, man. Um, I have this book and I don't know when they drew it, but the illustration on the front is Nick Cage in like a revolutionary war outfit. And I don't think they based it on him, but it looks exactly like him. So I have, I have this book Uh and that's probably the weirdest thing. And then the other one is there was a tops trading card that they released with part of the, um, part of like a little, like, you know how they have like baseball cards with the uniform in them and there's just mm-hmm. like a patch of the uniform. They had a patch of his costume from adaptation. Interesting. And so I have that. <laughs> they released a bunch of them, I guess, but like they cut up one of his <laughs> costumes from adaptation, which is like, I understand movies. like national treasure or something, yeah. but like. I don't know what the crossover is into, yeah, this is part of his costume from Adaptation. 
the like the big knit sweater kind of. I don't know if it's the sweater. It's I think it was like maybe he was wearing a suit at one point oh, in okay. time, and it's like a little light blue, and it's just like all right, I have this, um, and I think that's inc- I think it's an incredibly weird release by Tops more than anything yeah, about yeah. Nicolas Cage. It's like of all of all things, yeah. Do you think it's worth anything? Whatever I paid for it, <laughs> and then less like ten dollars. <laughs> um, I'm sure one day it'll be worth less. Maybe, hopefully. I have, n- I have no faith in my collection to garner any money whatsoever. There might be a Nick Cage revival, like you said. Yeah, there's probably like one other crazy person, or more. There's probably a ton. I mean, there are a ton of Nick Cage fans. So, but yeah, that's what that's my that's my weird collection of yeah. Cage stuff. I'm into it, and you know what, people out there, if you want to see it, you gotta date Jake. That's right. Yeah. That's the only way people come over to my house. <laughs> that are the the podcast you used to do, which is now not a thing. Defunct. Yeah. Just one podcast now. Yeah. Spreading joy. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jake. Cool. This Thanks, Cindy. Awesome. Mm-hmm.